0: Welcome to the That's My Financial Guy podcast with Brian Haney, founder of The Haney Company, financial guru who looks great in pants and helps people understand their finances. Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I am your host, Brian Haney, with The Haney Company, and I am thrilled to be at uh, Club Management Association of America headquarters with Jeff Morgan executive in charge of all things CMAA, And uh, thanks for uh,
1: having me out. Well, it's great to be here. And ironically, today is my fifth anniversary at CMAA, So this is a good way which to celebrate. Which was unplanned. So hey, there yeah. we go.
0: Congratulations. Um, yeah, I remember when you made the the move, yeah. which yeah. I'm sure we'll get to. Um, so let's break the ice in a fun way and let mm-hmm. people get to know you in ways they probably don't. So out the gate, this is a very important question and, and one that usually requires a lot of thought and effort. What food will you not eat under any circumstance?
1: Well, I've been in Asia several times and okay. I've always avoided the 100-year-old egg but because <laughs> it looks pretty disgusting. But I've, I'm going back next year and I've convinced myself that I'm going to eat the 100-year-old egg. So Limburger cheese I, is, now number I, number is, is now the number one. Got it.
0: Okay, that's I, we'll have to do an episode just on that experience, though, I think. That sounds pretty awesome. Um, if you could be a superhero, what superpower would you want to have?
1: Well, I think that I would have the best superpower ever, and that's instant karma. Ooh. So think about the <laughs> fact that as you go through life, you see people doing good things and you see people doing bad things. Yeah. And so with an instant karma ability they could actually get paid back for whether they're doing good or bad. And the world would be a much better place if people had instant karma. Yeah.
0: Immediate results based on.
1: Yeah. You're not picking what happens to them. And maybe somebody else would think it's good or bad, but you could throw instant karma on them and something would happen.
0: I love it. That I'm going to, we're going to have that's (laughs) We're going to rank these responses. That to me is already my favorite. I'm fascinated by that. Um because I always love to fly, but that sounds way more fun, especially when I'm driving around and I'm looking at, yeah, yeah. I would be Probably dangerous. more bad people. It'd it be, right? it be very dangerous for me to have, so I, I would not want that power. If you could have dinner with any famous person, uh, celebrity, doesn't matter, politician, who would you want to have dinner
1: with? So I, I, I'm gonna go with a, a dead guy, and that's Lincoln. I mean, I think he was in the most fascinating point in our history and as American history. And I love American history. And he would be my man.
0: That would be a fascinating conversation to be inside his mind for even five minutes.
1: And my guess is if you ask people, there's a lot of people that would probably say, Oh, yeah. Say Lincoln. He's
0: certainly probably up in the top. Yeah. Um, Top 10. Yeah. And then last one, of course, besides this one, what other podcasts do you like to listen to and would you recommend to somebody else?
1: Well, obviously, CMA has their own podcast. So that is the podcast of choice. Excellent. Um, What's it called? It's called Club Management. And so, you know, we talk with members, we talk on issues in club management. And, you know, I think that is, for me, obviously my number one. But NPR is is right in there, and I listen to some of the NPR podcasts.
0: They do have some some very interesting and thought provoking conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all right, we'll get everybody signed up for that. I know, I know. We were t- even just talking about it before we started uh, our session here, and there's a lot of stuff going on in not just your your uh, membership industry, but industries in general. So yeah, absolutely, you know, the
1: world is changing. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in this concept called VUCA where the world is much more volatile, it's much more uncertain, it's much more complex and much more ambiguous. And so, yeah. you know, if that's sort of how we live our live our life here.
0: Now, that's so let's, um, let's talk about your kind of bio, but in a fun way, your background as, as somebody who's been in the association industry as a as an executive for mm-hmm. for a long period of time, you're an ASAE fellow, which, you know, you can talk a little bit about that as well. But just, you know, what's what's it like navigating to where you are today, in a sitting in the executive chair? What do you want people to know about you that maybe they don't?
1: So I've been in four associations, um, you know, going up through the ranks over 35 years in associations. And th- I think probably the interesting thing is I was in insurance. I was in financial markets, derivatives. I was in public companies. And now I work with, with member-based clubs, country clubs, yacht clubs, city clubs, military clubs, beach clubs. So very diverse. Um, I guess the the common thread through all that is a lot of high net worth individuals and all the the various entities. Sure. So um, you know, not to say that I am one of those high net worth individuals, <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's a common thread. Um, so it's been it's been a fun journey and love where I am now. I've been here five years, and um, I'm sure we're going to get more into that.
0: When you got started, did you ever see you know? Yourself sitting in the seat that you're in now, or, or you know, was it just kind of a, oh wow, it, it, this is kind of how it unfolded. Yeah. So
1: I actually came. I mean, I graduated from college with a degree in finance and computer science, okay. and in the '80s, people couldn't talk business and computers, and I had that skill <laughs> and really used that for the first ten years. And my falling into associations, my first insurance association was through the 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 uh, IT, and I think I was probably one of the first. Um, IT vice presidents or directors in the wow. association world. And from there, all the business skills kicked in and I advanced up the ranks and left that first association as um, the chief operating officer or something similar. And um, the, the more I went up the ranks, the more I was like, at some point, I want to be the CEO in an association. And
0: here I am. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that's such a fascinating framework to consider given what we were just talking about in terms of, you know, now technology, not just disrupting, but being ubiquitous with so much. I mean, you just, it touches everything that we do essentially in life. Um,
1: And for me, it's been a good skill set to have that technology because technology influences so much and operationally it's so important. And, um, you know, while the the days of understanding Fortran and computer languages has far (laughs) surpassed, um, you know, my abilities, that technical understanding of, of technology and that ability to apply it in business is part of what's helped me in my career all, the, all throughout.
0: Well, and I think that that's uh, such a valuable framework, but it's probably one that I imagine is not always as easy for someone in your shoes to adopt if they don't have that same kind of a background. So as you look in the association industry, A, what excites you the most about being in the industry, but also B, do you see certain thematic uh, trends or threads among your colleagues where you see something that they commonly maybe don't?
1: Yeah, so I would, I think, first of all, for 35 years in associations, I mean, what excites me most is the diversity of associations. Yeah. All of us come to work and you know, we do lots of different things and serve our members in lots of different ways. And we're in an environment of learning and an environment of providing services. So it's very exciting. um, And I love it. Um, I'm so glad I fell into associations like most of us. I I think, you know, what has been interesting over this journey of 35 years is how associations were very static and didn't evolve very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the world today, if we look at it, those associations that are successful or most successful are ones that are changing and evolving. And really operating like businesses and to serve the the, the business people or the profession or the, the industry that they represent. So we have to be nimble. And um, for me, I'm I love change. And so it's been the best of all environments for me because I love to come in and, and upset the Apple cart.
0: Well, and and so and you have a bit of a reputation in in being experienced in, in maybe turning around organizations. So can you talk about that type of a skill set, because certainly there's there's a lot of different ways I'm sure an executive could come into a role, but you know you've you've made, hey, coming in and taking organizations that were struggling or maybe even ready to fail and been able to bring them around. So talk about that. how How yeah. did you get to that place? and why does it also excite you so much?
1: I, I, I'm not sure it was a planned. I mean, it wasn't a planned uh, decision. But it was something when you love change and you have that background of, of technology and I also have a very strong financial background, um, it appealed to me. And mm-hmm. so I got into a couple organizations that were struggling and were not CMA sort of where I am now is, um, you know, was sort of the worst case or best case scenario, depending on how you looked at it, because they were ripe for change. Yeah. And, you know, financially they were were struggling and really everything they were doing, they were struggling. So the, the advantage is for a lot of association execs, they don't want to touch that right. um, because it is, it is fraught with danger. Um, but for me, I look at it and say, wow, I can go in there. The board is eager for change, so it's going to fit hmm. my personality of wanting to change. And, um, you know, what makes me successful or what my success is, you know, it, it's really um, a model of getting that inertia going to where you have to get some wins. And the more wins you get, the more change you can make and the more evolution you can do. And suddenly everything is, is humming. And so, you know, we got there very quickly at CMA. And yeah. it was largely um, because it was pretty easy, easy for somebody as an outsider to come in with business skills and really look at it and say, you know, this is a business while it is unique um, because we deal with things, you know, private clubs or golf and food and beverage and uh, social activities and all of that. Ultimately, you're selling a product and service to members and let's apply business skills to it. And when you pull yourself away and look at that 30,000 foot level from that 30,000 foot level, it really made sense what needed to be done and the board was again eager for change so you could just do stuff. Yeah. So there wasn't that um, very uh, structured governance that said, oh, let's evaluate this and let's mm-hmm. think about this. It was like there was a fire burning. So we had to make change.
0: Sure. Well, and that's a great point to kind of, let's talk a little bit about, as you see um, either from some of your experiences with specific organizations and certainly maybe the broader you know association membership landscape at large what are some of the key indicators maybe that an organization is in trouble either whether it's resistant to change whether it's bored what you know what are some of the things that you've seen that are thematic that it would be good for someone to to be able to have a, a you know a perspective or look out for yeah
1: i think a couple things one is we so often look at our income statement and say revenues expenses are we making a profit right and in an association world while you know benchmarks say you should make 3 to 5% in profit many associations don't and that isn't necessarily a problem so we need to look at the balance sheet not the income statement and really understand what are the assets you know and, and one of the ratios i love is that current ratio current assets over yeah. current liabilities to say are we spending money before we even made it Hmm. And um, you know, let's look at equity. Let's look at you know the rest of it to truly understand. So that understanding, that financial understanding, is important. Probably the other area that I think associations and really all businesses struggle in is governance. Yeah. And you know, it's something that if your board, you know, a board really has three responsibilities. They have a fiduciary responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an oversight responsibility, but then they have this this area that's up there that re- they really need to understand where the profession is going and really understand or where the trade is going and be the caretakers of that. And yeah. so often we get stuck in those operational and fiduciary duties that we're not up there thinking about what's changing and how do we affect that change and how do we help the profession um, or the trade. And that is something that's... Um, I spend a lot of time doing. I am, you know, I think governance wise, uh, a lot of boards don't do that. And that's where we, you know, we have these sacred cows, or this is the way we always do things and we fall into that rut. So it's hard to make change.
0: And that's something that um, I know I've, I've, I've had many conversations across the landscape on that particular type of, let's call it a, a paradigm or a mentality where you have certain people in volunteer or board leadership, and it's very hard for them to break out of the way that they see things, especially when a lot of that is, you know, something that's been ingrained for decades in terms of experience and function. And it seems like it's a harder thing to step away from and and maybe have an outsider's perspective on either industry or really just the experience that a member is having. In your own organization. Yeah.
1: And it's it comes down to risk, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think as board members, we come into an organization and don't want to screw it up under our watch. So we come become very conservative. And I think chief executives yeah. are, are also somewhat conservative in the sense that if I do something and make a mistake, I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. And I mean, I've always looked at it that if I don't evolve, we're going to die. And, yeah. and there's always that fire burning. and that's how. That's the mindset I try to create with my staff. I want them to be entrepreneurial, so that we're always looking at how we can evolve. And I always want that fire burning. So coming into turnaround organizations just fits my personality and my management style because that fire is already burning. So I don't have to light it, and we just need to keep it lit. When and yeah, and that's
0: you know certainly from maybe a board perspective, that would be one of the areas that you might encourage boards to have that more open mindedness or that you know, someone mentioned in a in a presentation, almost like the twelve angry men approach where there's gotta be one person that's the dissenter or pointing you in the opposite direction, but then, you know, you're able to still listen effectively. So you have yeah. you know, not this just uniform, it's it's, you know, we all think the same way and, and act the same way and behave the same way. That's probably not as healthy of a dynamic. Cause you're talking about when you're coming in, the atmosphere of the board synergizes with your skill set, correct? You no, know, they are ready for what you have, um, but I imagine, like like we identified that that's probably a rarer situation than it than is you're finding.
1: You know, and, and you know, what I find today is there's actually more tools to create that. ASAE has these foresight factors, yeah. that are a, a, a packet of through the foundation of probably fifty to seventy things that are changing in the world that you can pick out and use for board conversations and strategic conversation. So there's a lot more tools now for from the association side for yeah. us to act much more like businesses that didn't exist 30 years ago.
0: So if there were, you know, if you were to lay out a, a few foundational, whether they be tools, resources, or just maybe, you know, information points to, to provide to an organization to try to um, help them make changes or maybe equip them better to see change? What what would some of those, what would you point so, somebody so to? So nimble
1: governance okay. is, is one. Um, always looking at trends, always looking ahead. You need to manage your portfolio of services and what you offer, but you need to be looking ahead and saying, what's changing? How do we, you know, you don't wait wait until it's broken to fix it. You try to break it yourselves and evolve to the next thing. Sure. Um, so those are a couple skill sets you need to have um, people in your organization that have some solid financial background, um, some good marketing background, some good insight into the membership. Um, understand why members. You need to understand why members join your organization, or why yeah. you know what type of members are they. Are they active members? Are they checkbook members, and everything in between? And understand what they're you know what why they're they're joining. But ultimately, I believe that we're here to solve members' problems. If you look at the history of associations, associations come together even today because people have a commonality of problems or a commonality of interests yeah. and they want to help each other. So that's why we're here. We're here to help each other. So I'm when I'm out on the road and I spend a lot of time with my members, one of the things I'm always asking them is, What are your problems? Well, what's what What do you struggle with? What keeps you awake at night? And I listen to all that, and that's what I take back, and that's what we try to solve.
0: I think that that's such a great point, too, the the opportunity to understand the industry that's being represented, not just the member organization relationship, because in the financial industry like I'm in, I know I've had this conversation many times with several of the membership organizations I'm a part of in terms of how can the association maybe be front and center at representing industry trends or tackling industry issues, not just you know those that are specific to the people that have already said yes and are already members, but really more, how can you be a force for an industry that would even attract people that may not even have you on their radar because yep. you're able to kind of take charge and uh, you know stem certain tides that may be acting against the industry. Yeah, um, yep. but that's, that's hard. Yeah, you know, that's certainly yep. a hard position it, to
1: be in. It, it is hard. I mean the. The cool thing about associations are that people, you know, your members are volunteers and therefore, you know, they want you to be successful because that makes them successful. So that is our secret sauce. And we need to make sure that that we use that to the maximum that we can.
0: What ways do you find um, that have been maybe effective at listening strategically to an industry? Are there any... I'm sure there's no one right way, but some of the things that you've found are, are valuable to you that really give you that type of an insight, maybe if an organization doesn't have it, how would they go about it?
1: So most of the industries I've come into, I am not the expert in the industry. Some associations right. hire a professional from outside the industry. So for me, coming into an industry and me with my desire to learn, I ask a lot of questions. Tell yeah. me about how you got your start in the in the profession. Tell me about what, you know, walk me through. I mean, I love to go on tours of my members' facilities and it allows me to ask them ask them a lot of questions and people love to talk and people love to share. And the more they share and the more I hear, you start seeing the the common elements bubble to the top. So I think that that innate curiosity is so key for for not only a CEO, but all your staff. Sure. Um, Because your members are what makes you tick. And so you want to, you know, you want to get close to them.
0: And in a couple episodes previously, there was the theme of storytelling, right? The power of storytelling, how it's, you know, really almost part of human nature throughout history. And, you know, maybe the oldest form of communication. And so do you see that that, um, appetite, like you described, as being a very valuable tool to try to, you know, not just hear the stories, but then also tell that same story out into the into the market. Well, the, the
1: story that, that I tell, I mean, I'm an evangelist for the association. That's a great word for it. evangelist. I love and that. you know, I'm when I get invited to speak at a chapter or I'm on stage at conference, I'm telling the story of where we're going as an organization that affects them and where we're going as a profession through my eyes. So, um, you know, it is that storytelling is key. And I've, I've seen folks that are much better storytellers than I, but I think that storytelling element is important in what we do. Um, when I write my blog every month or I'm, I'm doing my reports to the board, it is, it is a story. Um, and that, that story, comes easily off your lips as opposed to reporting facts and figures because it's a story of change and evolution. Yeah. I
0: want to go back to um, things that are maybe a little bit easier to to see from a granular standpoint in terms of what indicators or um, elements that if you were from the outside looking in could point to to say, hey, this these are common factors that might indicate you're in trouble as an organization, certainly financially is maybe, or maybe, you know, you have one revenue stream and you don't have the, so
1: So a couple, you know, we've, we've talked about ratios and some other things, but a couple other points that I would look at is salaries, okay, Um, you know, in associations about a third, give or take, you know, is, is the right cost for salaries Um, so that is important. I'm a big believer in looking at benchmarks. You know, the industry shares information and we all know what benchmarks are out there. So salaries is one I look at. Um, product mix is important. Mm -hmm. When I first started in associations, I think 60 to 70% of what an association collected was dues. And, you know, now, you know, dues should be a third, maybe if that. Yeah. And so, multiple revenues, multiple sources of revenue is key. I think as well, I'm a believer that you always should be developing new things, understanding that some will gain traction and others won't, and some things um, you may be retiring. So is there a product cycle? And do, do we have an active product cycle of looking at at what are mixes of things mm-hmm. that we do and, you know, is there activity there? If we're doing the same thing we've been doing for 10 years, um, probably we're getting a little bit stale. And so all of that is important. Uh, I'm going to say this and then um, you know, probably beat myself up because I think the website is important. And ironically, because that is our storefront. And ironically, I say that and our website is the last thing that we're now updating. And it's taken us five years because we wanted to put a lot of new back office technology in before we got to the. Yeah. The front side, and it kills me um, to, to to look at our website. But that ultimately is the place that you make the first impression sure. to your members, to your potential members, to other other audiences out there. And you know, fortunately, um, in my case, I've been able to, to to not touch that to get everything else in place before we touch it. But I think that all that is important as well.
0: That's a that's a huge point. I mean, the digital brand that an organization has is. Essential. They say, you know, the statistics say 93% of buying decisions are now influenced by social media or, you know, a digital presence of some kind. So, I mean, that's yeah. that's not an industry specific statement. That's yeah. a that's that's the world we're living in. And so, yeah, the the ability to stand out electronically, digitally and, and be relevant and really attractive. I mean, really, how, how can you develop yourself as an organization to appeal to people and that they want to know more about what you're doing? That's probably, it's easy to say from a theory standpoint, but then, you know, like you're describing, yep. the need to go in and say, all right, well, how do we do that? Is probably yeah. pretty challenging. And
1: I think associations probably face or association executives face when they go into their board trying to convince them to put, a large sum of money into technology, and yeah. whether it's that digital presence, whether it's stuff behind the scenes, and because technology is changing so quickly, you want a payback that's many many years, and you're not necessarily going to get that. But it's serving the members, and it's it's a necessary cost and a necessary investment. Right.
0: Well, and and I mean that's a great point in terms of. That spend and then quantifying it. It isn't always as easy to quantify. You can't just say, hey, we redid our website and it's going to now generate this many more people from a membership standpoint. It's not that cause and effect.
1: Yeah. I mean, in our case, um, you know, we don't, uh, you know, people that come into the industry know they need to belong to us. So our website focus is really about being that home for information for them. And, you know, we we don't do a great job with it. And it's something that that we're going to change over this next year.
0: So if you were to um, give, you know, either advice, counsel or or encouragement to other association leaders, what would what would you be saying um, that you think is going to be the most critical thing for the next two years, five years, 10 years?
1: Oh, boy. I wish I was that smart. It's a loaded question, right? Yeah, that is a loaded (laughs) question. I'm not I'm not that smart, I would say. Where I am smart is I try to surround myself with really smart people with very diverse opinions and diverse backgrounds. And my belief is that the the best will will shine through and bubble up. Um, The same with my members. We just came away from a leadership conference of 150 of my leaders. And we sat around for a day talking about the future of of where clubs are going. And um, it wasn't me. Um, telling them where I thought the future was, it was them talking and the way it uses a methodology that the best ideas sift at to the top. Mm-hmm. And so that diversity to me is going to be the leveling factor or the factor that makes up for me not being not me, me not knowing because I'm hoping and yeah. expecting that that best, best thought is going to come forward. But I think, you know, certainly communications, we're here doing a podcast you know, we do a podcast. We're about to to go in and start doing more video um, work. All of that. Yeah. You know, we're probably behind the curve. Um, on that. I think you know we struggle and look at learning and you know the challenge of going to to long conferences of multiple days versus um, education in short bits. Yeah. Um, and so that is an area that. We continue to look at making sure we cover all the bases mm-hmm. and not putting all our eggs in one basket. You know, social media um, is important. You know, we um, use the social media channels and share and members share. You know, I have a presence out there because I think it's important for, for folks to, to see what I'm doing. Um, and they actually get excited by seeing me travel around and go to clubs. And I and do that. enjoy
0: all those pictures. Yeah. So the, I, the rampant I, jealousy I, that I, I visit nice places, yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, I think you know that is part of um, the world we live in. This blurring lines of your professional and personal too. And I think you know, for me as a CEO in particular at CMAA, you know, I need to be much more open. You know, to where. Used to be executive, maybe we're a little bit more guarded on their, you know, professional versus personal, um, because I think people want relationships, and now those relationships are the glue that that creates a good foundation for an organization.
0: On the point of, you know, just being profitable, or or you know, being in the proverbial black, as almost well, as long as that's the case, it's kind of like well, then we're okay, yeah. and how that is probably financially a very precarious place to be at best because it's not just that you've made money it's a how you're making it and b if revenue stopped tomorrow how viable would you be for and for how long right i mean that's probably a question i would i would venture to guess not every association professional or board might know the answer to and yet it's probably pretty important
1: yeah well i think the balance sheet people just don't don't understand it. Yeah. You know, and you look at member equity or you look at your assets or liability. I mean, I've bought inventory. I hold that inventory. And somebody in the financial will know, will know, well, if you have to write that inventory off, you're going to take a loss, you know, if there's going to be right. an associated expense with it. So we're just going to hold on to that and and not write it off. So the, the balance sheet tells a lot of stories.
0: Well, there's a, there's an interesting duality to the word risk that I think is probably apropos here, Right. There's a risk of loss and and financial risks in terms of not being in the right place from a revenue expense standpoint, but there's also opportunity risk, right? Not doing things that you should be doing and not using finances the right way, that is as costly, if not more so, right?
1: Yeah, you're right. We often think of risk as a negative in the sense of if I do this, I'm risking Loss, but if you're not doing it, you're risking, right. you know, not moving things forward, and so you create an opportunity for somebody else. If if and in an association, you know, one of the things that's changed over the past 35 years is it used to be nobody would ever an association was somewhat sacred and nobody would compete against you. Now every business, every vendor you have or many yeah. are like, well, I can create this same membership engagement and do education and do all these things. So you have to be nimble. And part of taking that risk is is understanding how to manage risk. I mean, I'm a big believer of trying, looking at things, trying things um, in a way that I, I don't have a big loss from a financial standpoint or right. a lot of investment in it. So if it doesn't work, I can change it or kill it. And yeah. so we're always incubating um, new ideas and and trying things. And you know, I'm a little bit believer in. You do that in a sloppy way, in the sense that you don't sit there and try to refine it perfectly. You put it out there and let the let the business world or let your members refine it by how they react to it. And so the cost of that, the cost may be a lot less to put it out, and then it's a molding of it. So you're in, in investing cost as you go ahead. Because if you wait for that perfect idea, it may or may not be the perfect idea. So let's put it out there and let the market decide.
0: Well, and I think that incubator concept is probably a harder one to stomach or swallow because it's, it's not as commonly understood what that looks like from an association standpoint. And you also mentioned something in that conceptually, the need really to have ways to both measure and be nimble, but probably a longer runway than it seems like sometimes people are willing to commit. You know, if you're trying something out um, and, you know, especially let's say, for example, it's a... Yeah, something akin to our practice, right? An affinity program needing to have, you know, a two, a three, a a longer term framework to really know if certain things are going to be successful or not versus, oh, in six months we threw it out there and it doesn't seem like we're getting anywhere. It's clearly not effective, right? I know that there's probably some, you know, art and science to figuring out what the appropriate runway is, but would you say that there are probably... A lot of scenarios where an association might shortchange itself by not waiting long enough to let the market do what it
1: and respond. Yeah, I would say that I think boards and association staff are too conservative generally. right? And therefore, they're looking to be perfect because our money is tighter in association and um, perfection isn't necessarily going to be success. And so by being imperfect and by investing smaller amounts, it's easier to absorb those losses and it's easier than to invest in the winners um, because of being more nimble. And I don't, you know, there's certain ideas, you know, we spend more time with our board talking about um, challenges and leave staff to sort of be those implementers. And while we do work of, of, using our membership and leadership to help us look at solutions, the implementation um, is on staff. So we're not out there saying, here's the the three or five ideas that we're asking you to to approve. We're going out and doing them and then seeing what the reaction is. And that's just part of sort of the culture here. It's part of that coming out of a turnaround situation and the board having the confidence that's, you know, of the management team and understanding they're not, you know, somebody used to somebody has said to me that a board's job is eyes on and hands off. Um, they're, they should be looking and watching and having their eyes on everything, but they shouldn't have their hands on everything. And if, as staff, if we give them the ability to get their hands on stuff, um, they're going to naturally go there because many of our our board members are operational mi- mindset, so that's what they love. And you need to keep them up in the, the strategic and and area.
0: Well, in your own professional story is a great example as to why it's really important organizationally to empower people because you never know where that great idea or where that next great thing is going to come from. And if you're too constrained and maybe too boxed in in the way that you're approaching things, you may not find that or give people the opportunity to thrive. Right. Well,
1: and I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a big believer in staff being entrepreneurs. intrapreneurs yeah. um, that they, and I'm a big believer in diversity and I'm a big believer that I don't know any everything. And so the more we have thought and therefore the flatter the organization is to where everybody can put their thoughts in, um, the better things that are going to come out of it. I will tell you that um, ideas come up and I cringe Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately I have the final word, but I try to, to, to not go there and let's see what happens with some of these ideas. And, you know, some are good and some aren't. And as well as people are in different stages of their careers. So um, the way you learn is to make mistakes. And I'm um, a believer that we need to, you know, part of our job as executives, whether it's in business or associations, is to be mentors and to, to allow people to, to make mistakes in their own smaller way to where it doesn't create huge impacts to the association as opposed to, to to me sitting and saying, oh, that'll never work. We can't do that. You know, you need to different ideas, you know, have a time where they can blossom and we need to try that.
0: And also, you know, to recognize too that mistake doesn't equal failure. Correct. Sometimes it does, but more often than not, it just means, you know, we, we're maybe headed in the right direction, but we need to pivot. Yeah. And allowing people to feel comfortable enough to make a mistake is pretty important. Yeah,
1: and... Yeah, we live on in associations as we're teaching and we're professional development is important and learning is important. So we need to be we need to live by what we what we preach.
0: Yeah. If you were to uh, give advice to an organization that might think that they're concerned they're heading in the wrong direction or um, maybe, you know, semi on fire, you know, where there's smoke, there is fire, that kind of thing. What kind of steps or advice would you tell an organization, you know, to take or consider taking that could help maybe turn the tide?
1: So I think we've talked about some of these. You know, looking at your financials and having a good financial understanding, looking at your product yeah. mix, understanding your product mix, um, looking at your staff. You know, I, I would say that's, you know, is it healthy to have everybody be. a a staff member of an organization for 30 years? Um, Probably not. You're not getting that new thinking in. You're not getting that diversity of thinking in. So do we have a breadth of people with different years of experience um, Hmm. working in our association? I mean, I have uh, folks here that have been here 35 years. I have folks here that have been here just a couple years. And so those people that are 35 years have as much value as um, the folks that were here two years. And so Earlier we talked about mentoring, and there's mentoring up and mentoring down. And yeah. Again, that diversity brings success. So um, that's another thing to look at. I think looking at sort of the some of the key benchmark ratios we mentioned earlier, yeah. staffing and what that salary cost is. Is it in the the low thirty percent? Um, if not, why is it why is it not? I, I think understanding, you know, some things like and you know, some of my peers make vehemently disagree with me but if I have um, you know a ten million dollar investment portfolio, am I banking on the the interest and the returns from that to run my operation I think that's a dangerous sign yeah um, I think you know that money should be used for investment purposes in the association for for new projects but if I'm thinking that's a revenue source, Um, that's a big red flag in my opinion, because it it tells me that, you know, we, we, we can't live off, you know, our means. And so therefore we have to make we have to keep that as part of our, our calculation. So things like that are, are some, a little bit of areas that I would look at.
0: Yeah. And obviously, you know, they, they, they could always bring somebody like you in as well. It wouldn't hurt. Well, they certainly could. (laughs) Not that you're looking. But I I love it here. All right. Um, Last thing, just in general, any shout outs among the uh, the association community you want to make and any, you know, any any ASAE fellows you want to acknowledge or any sure. relationships? So, or
1: So ironically, I mean, coming into the association, Doug Culkin um, was somebody who was a mentor to me. Um, I came in, I think earlier I told you, as a as sort of focused on information technology and ultimately left as the number two. Doug was a C, the CEO largely for that. I would say other people that have been important, your dad um, is, is somebody who's been a partner, um, not only yeah. in the business side, but also um, the personal side as I've, I've grown in, in association management. So those are, are key. My, my ASA fellows group, um, I've been a fellow for almost 20 years. And we all need to network and we all need to have a group of people that we can go to, to bounce ideas off of, or if we get into trouble and say, help me with this. And for me, that, that core fellows group, those that go to the retreat every year, those that um, are very active are really my, um, you know, my group um, that, that I leverage. And while I go to a lot of other networking groups, that's the group I come back to if I have a problem. And so I think, um, you know, we all need that network, um, mm-hmm. that inner circle, that kitchen cabinet, if you will, um, that we can rely on. And, you know, it should be people that are come from different walks of life with different diversity. And so surrounding myself with that has, has helped my career. Uh, so so those are some shout outs. That's awesome.
0: How, if somebody wanted to find and follow you or or CMA in general, where would they go?
1: So they would go to CMA.org. Mm-hmm. And that's and if they want to follow me, I mean, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey D. Morgan. Um, and there's a Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I'm Jeffrey D. Morgan. The Jeffrey <laughs> Dean Morgan is an actor. And some people mistake me for that <laughs> on social media, but they quickly realize that I'm not who they're looking for. <laughs> yeah, the,
0: there's a Brian Haney who's a Christian singer. and And so, yeah, I'm apparently... There's a there's a, well, good feeling. I, 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 get, I get what it's like to have doppelgangers out there. Yeah, so, you have an yeah. alter ego. I do. I do. So thank you very much for your time, Jeff. Well, it's I've enjoyed
1: great. it. Thanks for inviting me to participate. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this month's episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. We hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at the Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees, and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal, legal, or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRACIPIC.